Hello guys and welcome to the Fight Site Crafty Boxing Podcast. Um, I'm Lukash, as always, and I'm going to talk to you about Daniel White and Tyson Fury. I'm also going to talk to you about Nick Ball, just because I enjoyed that fight. Uh, Nick Ball has his uh, Isaac Lau. So I'll talk about that a little bit, because I, you know, that was a good fight. And Nick Ball might be one to watch out for, you know, it's a little early to say for sure what the level will be. But um, yeah, other than that, there wasn't a great deal to talk about, either on that card or... There was one on Friday, um, Paul Butler won a belt, a temporary WBO belt at Bantamweight against the standing opponent, Jonas Sultan, after John Real Casimiro got in a sauna and thus forfeited his... Uh, his participation it's not really you know it's a it's a joke that it's for any kind it's for an interim belt but um it's a joke that that was any kind of belt at all and i mean i didn't watch the fight so i can't comment on it in that sense anyway but um yeah i won't be talking about that um so yeah let's crack right on with it i'll be talking about you know i'll talk about the performance a bit about fury versus um white and then i'll talk because that seems to be on a lot of people's minds um if Fury doesn't retire, um, if he fights Usyk, you know how I think that would go because that, that's more. You know, there's, there's some stuff to talk about there, so so I'll talk about that. Um, yeah, the performance itself was. Um, I mean, it was about what you, you'd expect, really. It was a Tyson Fury in his newer form, but do, incorporating a little bit of a. You know, he wasn't um, constantly trying to push White off. Uh, get in White's face all the time, like against uh, Deontay Wilder, and that makes sense because um, because it's, put it this way, Deontay Wilder comes in already off balance, that's just his uh, way of being, with with White you know, for all his clumsiness and uh, lack of athleticism, and I've talked about that before like, he is one of the most weirdly like, I wouldn't even say he's unathletic naturally, because he clearly had some athletic gifts. If you watch, especially if you go back way back and watch his kick, some of his kickboxing, which pops up every now and then, he clearly had some, you know, athletic gifts back then. But something since then has gone wrong. I don't know whether it's injury or him deciding he needs to have the weight on for heavyweight or whatever. Um, but Dylan White is, uh, he's lost whatever athleticism he really had. Um, his foot slower foot. His hand speed isn't that bad, to be fair. But um, he tends to lose speed by loading up, and yeah, he's a uh, he's just not agile or evasive really at all. And you know, so between him and Tyson Fury, like uh, you know, I said on the night, there is a gap between them in skill, and there always was. But the gap in skill between them is nowhere near the gap between um, that is between them in athleticism because Tyson Fury can talk about his dad bod and his fatness and all that all he wants but he's one of the most athletically gifted heavyweights we've ever had he's by some distance the most athletically gifted heavyweight today I mean obviously Usyk is highly athletic but uh, but the size difference makes the fact that Fury you know Fury's almost as fast as Usyk he's, uh, he's definitely stronger he's definitely more powerful the agility isn't that far different, although, you know, I'll get into that when I talk about the comparison. Um, yeah, basically, Fury, Fury is just ridiculous for, for the weight class. And uh, White is, even by the standard of the weight class, at this point, he's a little bit, just kind of comes off as a bit broken. But anyway, the first round, um, Dylan White decided to come out southpaw for some reason. I mean, I, I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what the reason was, and that was just to show, it's just like a bit of mind games, basically, to show, you know, anything I, you can do, I can do just a little bit worse. Um, 
just to, you know, try to get Fury uncomfortable with this look he wasn't looking for. It didn't work. Uh, you know, there's just, yeah, it's just, just too much difference. There's too, too much, you know, the class difference was too big. So Fury just kind of looks at him and it's like, okay, if you want to do that, I'll go orthodox and, uh, just jab you a bit, you know, jab you, out jab you. And so, so White, um, you know, didn't help him find any new angles, creative angles, unexpected angles that Fury couldn't deal with. So in the second round, they went back to, he went back to orthodox and so Fury switched southpaw and, uh, you know, away we went. That was really where the fight started. And, uh, yeah, Fury, you know, more or less dominated every second. But White got some shots in and he was trying to work the body and, you know, he wasn't completely uh, lacking in, uh, he wasn't lacking, yeah, this is the thing I always say about Dillian White, he isn't lacking in ideas. No, he isn't a low IQ fighter. For all that, he makes himself sound big and dumb and in the interviews. When he's in the ring, he knows what he's trying to do and he's got different ideas of what about, of how to get to try to do it. He just doesn't have, in a contest like this, and it's against Tyson Fury, he does not have the athletic ability nor the technical soundness, let's put it this way, because um, I don't want to throw it all on him being big and slow. He does get things wrong about the way he moves. Um, he doesn't have those things on the level to execute those ideas against Fury, just in really any useful way. Like against other fighters who look ropey, mm-hmm. like even against um, Anthony Joshua. Like Anthony Joshua was clearly, uh, even back then, a, a better fighter than White. I think White has improved since then. Joshua probably has too, but, um, but against Joshua, White was able to land meaningful shots like it would have had to be, it would have to be quite lucky to have finished the fight, given the win, but he was able to land meaningful, you know, muster some meaningful opposition to Joshua. It was basically on the basis of that happening, that, uh, that there was any narrative about this fight being even slightly competitive. Um, but yeah, but White, th- there was some narrative coming into this that White's got this booming power that he catches opponents out with, that he knocks opponents out with, and it's like, um, He's powerful. He's a big, powerful, you know, he's a heavyweight, so all of them have power. He's probably above average for heavyweight, but not, you know, not that much. He's, I don't think he hits far higher, harder than Fury, especially now that Fury's, you know, putting steam on his shots on purpose, you know, um, deliberately leaning into his power. And with that being roughly, you know, let's say that, that, that between them is roughly equal. There would have to have been so much gone right for White to land a clean out shot on Fury before Fury landed on him. It just wasn't on the cards. So you know he was doing he was doing what he could. Um, you know he was he was doing all the right things, working head and body. He was trying. To, the main problem for him, and I've talked about this in my preview, um, is that White is at his best. White is essentially a counter puncher. Like he's a, you know he's not some epic trap setter or anything, but he wants opponents to come to him to a certain extent, um, an exchange with him so that he can catch them basically while they're resetting, you know, after they've thrown, yeah, counter-punching. Um, he tends to counter-punch in volume because he's not that accurate here, so he has to throw a few shots to get the one home. That's fine. You know, you know, he's hardly only a good volume counter-puncher. It's not that usual heavyweight, which probably um, helps him, you know, against other opponents. You know, when, when I say volume, he's, I mean he's throwing two or three shots. He's not a not Francisco, Juan Francisco Strada type, you know, combination counterpuncher. He's just not throwing one shot at a time, is what I'm trying to say there. 
Yeah, but basically the problem is he had a big speed disadvantage and a huge height disadvantage. So, uh, so Fury could basically, uh, you know, when White was trying to tempt him in, all Fury had to do is you know throw a quick jab out, and uh, he's got scoring shots on the board. Um, and White can't get close to him, and even even when Fury's you know stepping in at him, it's just so much more. Di- you know, Fury can throw shots at so much more distance that he can be throwing power shots like fairly range of hooks and things, and White can't get at him. So White had to be on the move, and he doesn't particularly like being on the move. Um, and this is part of the thing you know I talked about the athleticism. He's not great moving. You know, when he's move, moving backwards too fast, he tends to fall over. But a sort of a slow, steady back and forth pace, he's, he's he can handle that. But whenever he has to move forwards too fast, he just doesn't have the foot speed, and so he overbalances and he's reaching, and, that, and then he was getting countered himself. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, for rules that he tried to bait traps, and you know, he'd do things like throw a little little, little double jab and come over it with a with a big a right hook and things like that. He just he was just was never close enough to Tyson Fury. Um, to land, you know, ever land anything meaningful, and he's constantly being turned. Like you know, Fury. Fury's not himself a clean puncher or anything, a clean mover. Um, you know, in terms of a perfect form or all of that, he's got this really ridiculous jab. You know, so this wavy thing in front of the face. Sometimes he stings it out, but then he almost turns sideways to throw it. Um, you know, it's not something you'd teach. You wouldn't tell someone learning boxing watch Tyson Fury to learn how to do the thing. You might you might teach him to watch boxing to learn, you know, more or less what to do, but um, but not how to do it. But uh, but when you've got that much range advantage, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it can matter. Um, it will matter when we get to talk about Nick Ball, um, because he's a little guy. But anyway, yeah, that's a sneak preview for later. Um. And for White, the uh, the extra problem was that uh, Fury is obviously a good lateral mover. He circles well when he wants to. Um, and we kind of... That uh, kind of got... I wouldn't say forgotten, but people kind of expected him to fully commit to the Deontay Wilder plan. And uh, Fury kind of uh, didn't to begin with. And he was circling. He was, you know, hitting, circling, hitting, circling, which he did. I mean, he did do, do that against Wilder, but he closed the distance first and then sort of circled him around a bit. Uh, you know, he did he did, a, he did all of it against Wilder, really. But here the focus initially was was more on uh, do the stuff at the distance, jab, circle, jab, circle, prevent White oversetting himself, prevent White, you know, he'd follow, fall in, and then Fury would be around the side and be tagging him from the side. And... Uh, I'm sorry, there just really isn't that much more to say here. Um, you know, perhaps a one interesting thing would be as a contrast to the Wilder fight. Um, you know, the one, the one physical aspect where White probably can match Fury is a uh, just sheer physical strength. Um, so compared to Wilder, where Fury was imposing his out-and-out physicality on him consistently in the second two fights, where he was shoving him about, he didn't commit to that as much of the time. Because it was just been a waste. It would have been pointless. Like I think ultimately Fury would have been able to off balance, um, off balance White. And, you know he kind of did by the end. But um, but it would have been a waste of his own energy, shoving on White when he could much more efficiently tire White by making him follow and turn and follow and turn. And that's something that White doesn't do well. And consistently doing things that you're not good at, it's always going to tire you more than than the reverse. So. Um, 
so yeah, so he had this big advantage in that, and that's just what he kept doing. Um, and you know, one thing I, um, I'm going to give credit to to our man Kyle, um, Combat Chronicles on Twitter, um, who, I mean, we don't we don't have the hard the hard evidence that he called this on Twitter, but he he posted it just after, so I'm going to take him at his word that he called the um, the uppercut before it happened because. Um, and this, you know, this is a thing that uh, it's so obvious on paper, uh, such an obvious thing on paper, but it's very hard, clearly very hard to do in the room, um, of Fury not throwing the uppercut. Like, we know why it is weak to uppercuts. He's been knocked out by uppercuts a lot. Um, and uh, so you might have been surprised to see Fury not throwing one, really. But he was just throwing shots around the side and upstairs up to the head. And um, that conditions an opponent, you know, no matter how aware you are of your own weakness, if it's sort of grained into you, if an opponent is throwing punches at something else, like no matter how White tries to keep his um, guard central and tight to protect his uppercut, protect his chin from uppercuts, if, if, if the punches are always coming up the side and always coming you know, up high or just in the body, he is going to be, it's just his natural reaction in the fight is going to be to start focusing on those. And, you know, so ultimately what the knockout did, I think, I'm not sure if it was the first uppercut thrown in the fight, but it was one of them. It just kind of, White wasn't, White was awaiting another cross or hook and what he got was a clean uppercut um which uh i mean he was out on his feet you know there's uh controversies about the you know fury pushed him and he banged his head on the canvas and the, it should be you know white claims he may he needs a rematch and it's obviously nonsense and um, some people try to claim a fix on twitter and it's like what are you talking about guys i mean they clearly haven't seen the reverse angle where you saw the shot just you know just go straight through White. Um, he was out on his feet. He was going to fall over anyway. Um, but basically, the reason Tyson Fury pushed him was because um, White was falling over forwards, and so Fury pushed him off him. Um, that might technically, you know, be one of those things where you're not technically supposed to be supposed to do it, but uh, but there was pretty much nothing else Fury could have done in that situation. Apart, you know, he could have thrown a couple of follow-up punches, which wouldn't have helped White's you know, recovery that he claimed he needed. Other than that, there's, you know, he's not magic. He, uh, he can try to dance out of the way, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what that was. And yeah, that's, that's more or less, uh, more or less all there is to say about the fight. It wasn't deep. There's too big a golf in class for it to be deep. Um, you know, it was always a bit of a joke it being hyped at this big event, you know, 94,000 people, not fair play for them to fucking get done, but, uh, you know, Dillian White has made a career, you know, I, like I say, I I rate him higher than some people do. Um, you know, I also rate him lower than the match from Massive, but, um, but he's built himself, he's got himself far on, you know, he's got some, he's got some skill, some gifts, but, but he's built himself just both by his, you know, by his mouth and the help of Eddie Hearn and by just getting the job done most of the time when he needs to, he's got himself far, but it's just too big a gulf of class here. To be truly interesting. So, you know, after the fight, Tyson Fury said he's retiring. He might even believe he's retiring. Um, or generally, I say believe, he might generally mean to be retiring, and yet the next week decide that he's not going to, because he's Tyson Fury, he's very changeable. He claims he's going to fight Francis Ngannou, which is a a completely uninteresting fight. Like, um, 
completely uninteresting. Um, that would be an exhibition and not real boxing fight. Um, you know, if that comes together, I'll I'll be happy for Francis earning his uh, you know earning his bucks. But uh, but other than that, it's completely just um, just not interesting. Because if they fight in boxing, he he's not he's not a boxer. You know what, what are we going to do? Um, but uh, you know the fight everyone wants obviously is um, Alexander Usyk, assuming Usyk beats Joshua, which I, I assume he will. Um, and you know there's big debates. Uh, basically, everyone seems to have a different opinion. Um, you know, some people will tell you that uh, Fury has no chance. Um, that he's really a big clumsy oaf and. Uh, his feet are slowing down, and um, and he has no chance of beating the mobile, buzzing um, Alexander Usyk. And other people will tell you that the weight difference is just too big, um, the size difference is just too big, and um, Usyk doesn't have the pop. Um, you know, I am fence sitter. I think neither thing is true. I think uh, Usyk is clearly the more skilled fighter by a fair distance, and it's definitely fair to say that. Um, you know, we laud Tyson Fury's footwork for a big guy. And even now, when he's focusing more on uh, sitting down on his punches, and I think that is mostly the case. Like, he is getting older, so he's slowing down a bit. But I think his feet are slowing, in inverted commas, because um, because he's focusing on the power. And, um, you know, there were moments here when he moved perfectly effectively. He just didn't need to be super, super um, agile and dancing about because... Um, because he was in while he's moving, he's still trying to add more power than than just tippy taps, and he didn't need to for you know be the old the old distance dancing Tyson Fury. Um, but yeah, but even while he's got this you know good movement, he does make raw errors. I call it um, you know I call it it's a fairly standard phrase. He makes this big obvious errors of um, errors of form that. Usyk doesn't. Like Usyk does everything technically proper and correct, but all of his little tiny steps. He doesn't take shortcuts. And Fury does take shortcuts. Like he'll take one step when he really should be taking two or three. You know, he'll he'll take himself off balance. He will he'll cross his feet sometimes. Um, and that basically he does that um, because he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to worry about anyone catching him while he's doing these things because he knows he's too big and fast for his opposition. Um, but I think. I think he, I think, and the guys who think Usyk would dominate him will, will definitely agree, is um, you don't not do the technically correct thing if you have that technically correct thing ingrained in you. Uh, so him doing, the sh- taking the shortcuts in this instance, um, it's not one of those things that is just disrespect to the opponent and when the right opponent comes up, he'll be able to do it correctly. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. So he is going to get turned by Usyk. I think, you know, Usyk is going to be taken advantage like no one else he's fought has been able to of him, of balancing himself, of him, you know, making these mis- these errors and leaving himself open in spots. And he does leave his body open and Usyk works the body very well. And, you know, that's the argument that Oli's been making on Twitter. Um, uh, that's going to be the key to the fight and, and and why Usyk is going to dominate. And, you know, if Usyk wins, that will be the reason. Um, but for me, the counter-argument is... Uh, I mean, it's the size and strength, but it's also... Um, it's one of these weird things. Is uh, In boxing, like, you do have to... It's something I've talked about before, to some extent. Um, 
in boxing, you have to be prepared for when things go wrong. And that can mean going wrong in big ways and when your plan completely fails, which is the thing I've definitely banged on about in the past. But it also just means, you know, being able to do useful things even when you're not on balance. Um, and that was why, that was how you said be Joshua. Um, because Joshua is so focused on perfect form that when the form isn't perfect, he doesn't really know what to do. He doesn't know what to do when he's been turned out of balance or when Usyk got into pushing matches with him. But clearly, if you did a strength challenge, if you, they challenged each other to weights or did a strongman challenge, you know, Anthony Joshua would beat, um, beat Usyk, you know, in an arm wrestle or in, in, in weight, lifting weights or whatever. But when they were fighting in the ring, Joshua was constantly getting pushed. And it's because he didn't know how to channel that strength properly channel his power, channel his speed when he's not completely and utterly in shape, like in the exact right form. Tyson Fury is off, out of his um, perfect shape all the time. He doesn't have a perfect shape. So him being pushed off balance or turned off balance, like, yeah, there will be moments when it's too bad and he can't properly defend himself. But there will also be moments where, you know, there'll be an awful lot of moments where they're getting physical with each other. And unlike Joshua, unlike even... Um, if you watch Us- um, Usyk's um, World Series boxing fight with um, Joseph Parker, now that's a completely different fight, but, um, but there is a certain element of um, Parker as well, even though he's not you know clean in the same sense as Joshua is. Um, he ha- he does have that thing where, especially for his punching, like he did then less so I think now since he's been in that booth, where he does need you know he needed it to be in certain positions to to um to bring his abilities to bear and Usyk wasn't allowing him them. And I don't think that that's gonna bother that Tyson Fury that much. Like there will be moments when he'll be vulnerable and therefore hurtable. But he's not gonna flip out, he's not gonna not do anything. Like even in those situations he's still gonna be able to land with his own power. He's still gonna be um be able to shove Usyk about and um that's gonna be Usyk's main problem for me. Um, would be, you know, I keep saying going to be, that would be a six-main problem if they have a fight, would be how he reacts to being in with someone who can disrupt his game that much. Because, yeah, because basically Fury is used to his game being disrupted because he disrupts it himself. Like, he doesn't have, uh, I mean, he has, yeah, he, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, he's not wobbling about all over the place like a clown, um, like Deontay Wilder, but, um, yeah, he's just used to being rough. And by rough, I mean, you know, he's used to being the physical approach, but he's used to to fighting his way out of uh, out of not getting it right. And Utek will be forced out of not into more uncomfortable positions than he's ever been. And I just don't think it's possible to say with absolute certainty that Usyk will be able to live with what Tyson Fury can bring in that sense. You know, he have to, he'll have to make bigger movements to get into... Um, into advantageous positions than he has against anyone else. And even those, even when he's taking shortcuts and doing it wrong, there will be moments when Usyk does get compromised Fury, but there will also be moments when Usyk makes a move and Fury is able to adjust and then leave Usyk in a sort of no-man's land where he's expected, you know... The, the, well, the big thing about Tyson Fury is the way he switches starts as well, he's punching. And technically speaking, a lot of the time, the way he does that is wrong because... Um, because he'll cross 
his feet as he does it and um, leave himself, you know, off balance. And there may be times when he's knocked down because of that. But there will be times when Usyk comes at him, I think. I suspect there would be times when Usyk comes at him, um, expecting, you know, when he's in one stance and he's coming around the side, he's trying to come around the lead shoulder of um, of Fury. And then Fury will switch stances and suddenly the lead shoulder will be the back shoulder. And then Usyk will be travelling through way more of Fury's punching range and it will suddenly be the punching range of his power hand than he was expecting to. Like that will just, I think, happen. And when that happens, how will Usyk react? Will Fury be able to catch him with power? I don't think those questions are answerable before the fight happens. Like I don't think he can comfortably come down on one side or the other before the fight happens, which is why we really, you know, as boxing fans, you really need to see it happen. So, you know, someone send this to Tyson Fury and tell him, please, you know, fight with Alexander Usyk. And if you're really convinced that he's not worth fighting, you know, you just fought Dylan and Wyatt, prove it against Alexander Usyk. Um, yeah. If that fight happens, I have lots more to say about it. I'm not going to bang about it for too long now. So I'm going to move on to the rest of the card, um, which, you know, as I said, the... Uh, the main point of interest is Isaac Glover's Nick Ball, but I'll leave that leave that to the very end and just mention very briefly um, as an apology because I said Echo Esserman was going to be fun. I said Echo Esserman is a fun fight to watch, and I have to apologise because his fight against Darren Tetley was dire, dire. I fucked that up. <laughs> I got caught between saying diabolical and dire and uh, fucked up a single syllable word. Anyway, yeah, it was it was dreadful, and it was dreadful. Not even in you know some fights you can, um, you know some fights are boring, and then they get so like they're so bad that you kind of uh, you remember them like they're remarkable for their badness. Like Zelani Tete versus Manavares, for example, or um, one or two Rigo fights. They're just you know they're memorable for their dreadfulness. But this wasn't one of those. This is more like. Um, you know, Jack Cattrall versus Harold Davies or whatever, where they just, um, I don't know whether it was a clash of styles or whether it was because they moved the fight up a week. Basically, it was meant to happen next week, but they moved it onto this card, I guess, to fill the undercard out. And yeah, it just didn't uh, mesh well. You know, Essendon was clearly better. Like, I think Essendon probably won every round, but I wasn't scoring, uh, you know, I wasn't even watching the whole of the time because it just wasn't that interesting. Um, you know, Essendon had the volume but not as much volume must expect from him. He had the speed and the power and the length. Well, that, that's the thing. One thing, Essamon is shorter. Maybe that was the thing. Essamon is shorter. Um, also, I think, um, I th- was it his first Southpaw opponent? Don't tell me. I don't know. But um, it may have been his length disadvantage or it may have been, um, it may have been the Southpaw stance as well. Because um, he was shorter and he is a guy who fights at length. So, so it may have been that. Uh, and it may just have been the timing. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it was just, it just wasn't good. Sorry. Um, the other thing that happened was Tommy Fury. He looks absolutely fucking crap. Um, I hope he fights Jake Paul. I honestly hope he loses that, even though Jake Paul is a fucking skid mark, because, um, because it would be funny. But yeah, let's move on to the only, the only other fight of real interest and the only actually worthwhile fight on the card, um, was, um, was um, Nick Ball versus um, Tyson Fury's friend, and um, you know apparently they're very you know almost brothers. Um, Isaac Lau um, at featherweight, 
and um, this was for some kind of trinket, um, WBC silver or some nonsense, but um, what it really was is a British level sort of fight. Um, yeah, Isaac Lau has, uh, he lost his last fight um, previous to this against Luis Alberto Lopez, but he's basically lost, uh, he's basically competed pretty well at, um, at British, um, you know, sort of British European sort of level. He's you know he's drawn with Ryan Walsh, he's drawn with Dennis Salem, um, he's drawn with Ryan Doyle. So you know, a lot of a lot of draws on his resume. But he's uh, he's been at that sort of level for a while, and uh, and he competes pretty well there. And Nick Ball had uh, not really he'd not really proven anything. Like um, I saw one previous fight of um, Balls um, on the night um, when I watched him. I think it was against. Um, Jerome Campbell because it was a it was an eight rounder so it would have been that because um oh yeah because that's the only time um he's gone eight rounds and yeah it basically um the Jerome Campbell and Nick Ball both came into that and having never fought anyone with a winning record um so they were both completely unproven um Campbell was um Ball was definitely a better guy in that fight and you know his only other fights since then has been Piotr Goudeau which is 10-6, you know, 10-6-1. He hasn't, basically what I'm saying is he's never been anywhere near proven British level. But um, but watching that Campbell fight and watching you know, bits and bobs of him afterwards, catching up on him, you know, it's apparent to me he's, he's got some fairly obvious skill. Um, he is uh, also notable for being very small because he's five foot two, so he'd be short at, he'd be short at minimum weight, um, let alone heavy uh, um, featherweight. And, um, and he's incredibly aggressive, Quite dirty, which figured into this, but um, you know, mostly in you know, he's not head butter or anything. I mean, there was a clash of heads here, but I don't think it was on purpose. Um, but yeah, no, he's got he's basically one of these really aggressive, sneaky, non-stop bundles of energy, and um, and Isaac Lowe is kind of a all-rounder. Um, tries to do a bit of everything, kind of be aggressive, but not um, you know, he's not a really He's not really a pressure fighter, you know. He kind of sits on the outside and throws his big shots, and yeah, this—that's what failed him. Um, you know, the, he was in trouble early on because he was being out jabbed by someone so much shorter than him. Um, okay, I, I'm reading Nick Ball's Nick Ball is now updated to five foot five on her box rec, which may make more sense, but um, I don't think so. He's more than two inches shorter than though. Um, Let's put him somewhere in between. In any case, he's pretty small. Um, and yeah, and he was punching very upwardsly for most of the fight. But even from from early on, he was winning the jabbing battle. And he basically, well, he uses his size um, to his advantage. He uses his shortness to his advantage because he comes in very low and then comes upwards and springs up into his shots. And that's going to be risky. You know, at certain levels, that's going to be risky. He's going to have to disguise that a lot. Like when he comes in, he's going to you know, he's going to have to keep hidden on what he's doing, protect himself very, very um, consistently. And he, you know, there were times here when he did get tagged coming in, um, but he was just able to get in under, under Tennyson's shots, under Tennyson's jab, and come in and spring up and just deliver damage constantly. And he was, you know, there were times when he was punching almost straight up, like he was coming very low, um, and yeah, but he was coming in really low, coming in under the punches. And then basically, if someone is under your arms, 
you can't see what they're doing. And so Tennyson really didn't have any idea what was happening when the hooks were coming sort of, it was almost, it was almost Shoroyukin, show, show you know, they weren't uppercuts, but, um, but they were coming up almost directly up around Tennyson's, um, you said Tennyson, around Lowe's jab, or, uh, you know, around his arms, around his guard. And he just didn't really have an answer. He didn't know what he was doing. He couldn't get, uh, he couldn't judge the timing at all. All had the timing on point. And I think what was confusing, um, Lowe a bit was, um, was balls shifting. Like, um, you know, when you're that, when you have a big range disadvantage, you have to find every, every advantage you can get. And, um, this is, there was a knockdown in round, um, let me just quickly go and check. Nice and early in the second round, there's a knockdown that displaces perfectly, um, where, where Ball, um, throws a right hand and he comes, he has overbalance that this is, I mean, I think it was on purpose, but it's one of the things where he has to be careful because he has sort of overreached, um, with the right hand. And then he comes down really low. And as he's really low, like low, um, Isaac Lowe doesn't really doesn't really respond I think because he thinks he's safe um, and he's just going to reset and as as um, Ball crouches down low he shifts, he steps forward with his um, left foot and suddenly his left hand is his lead hand and he as he does that he comes up you know, all the same movement, it's all very smooth um, comes up and just you know, so I guess it's a straight it was one of those weird punches which is kind of hard to nail down but, um, he, you know, he just whacks, and he whacks low on the jaw with a, with a left hand out of his half boy stance when he had, you know, he came into the position in all the dogs. And, you know, he kept doing that quite a lot, that sort of thing. He's, he's, he's got the makings of a really good game there, of a really fun game as well. And so that was a knockdown. The knockout itself was, um, it was a product of good but dirty movement by, by ball. Of terrible refing, of terrible reactions to bad refing by Lowe, and then, you know, Ball just taking full advantage and not, uh, just, you know, taking the opportunity offered. Um, so basically, what happened is, um, is Lowe had clinched and he was leaning on Ball against the ropes, near but not in the corner. And basically, Ball just wrestled him off, like rather than, you know, fighting clean out of it or letting the ref break, he just shoved him. Um, and, you know, he shoved, he shoved him sideways so that, uh, the corner was relevant here because he came, you know, he hit the ropes on the other, you know, around the corner. Um, and because he'd been sort of shoved sideways, he, well, he fell into the ropes face first. Um, and then he kind of stopped and the referee absolutely should have jumped in then, but he didn't. And rather than, and when you can't really blame him because who's really, you know, there are going to be moments when you're, you know, you're not necessarily, he may have thought the ref has stopped it like he absolutely should have done. He just couldn't see what's happening. But, um, but yeah, Lowe should have absolutely held, basically held that position because there was no legal way for Ball to hit him. And instead he tried to turn around. Um, you know, he kind of been leaning out of the ropes, not fully, he wasn't tangled or anything, but he was, his head was out of the room. Um, and yeah, basically, rather than waiting for the ref to break it up and stand, uh, he, um, he turned around and you could see Ball was waiting. Like, Ball could see, oh, he's going to do something stupid here. And it was, um, complete. This is why I say he took full advantage of the opportunity offered because he was absolutely waiting for him to turn around. Like, he knew what he couldn't do. He knew he wasn't allowed to throw when Lowe's back was turned. So he just waited for him to turn around. And as he turned, as soon as he was, um, 
turned enough to take a legal shot, he, he smacked him. And, you know, the towel came in at the same time, the ref stopped it. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was bad refing. It was perfectly, basically, you know, it was dirty by ball, the initial shove. The actual knockout was not. It was just him doing what, you know, what you're supposed to do in that situation, taking advantage of an opponent or protecting themselves. It was fine. Um, yeah, ball was in a good division. Um, the featherweight division is very good at... Uh, in British level, um, which he has now announced himself on, but a lot of those guys are with Matchroom. I'm not sure. I think Ball's also with Frank Warren. Like he was obviously on a Warren card here, so I don't know what the prospects are going to be like of uh, matching them up. But I hope something comes, you know, comes of it because because uh, he's a very fun fighter, and I think he wants, you know, he deserves at least a shot at British level. Like the actual title at the moment is in some weird limbo because oh, I can't remember who holds it. Is it Ryan Walsh? It hasn't been fought for in like four years or something, but it's still with the same person who had it before anyway. Um, so, so that might be vacated and be free soon, and you know, mandating him against someone like Chalkin or something. Um, that might make the promoters work together. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's really it for this week. Um, next week, big two big cards. Um, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, or Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor. Um, that is, I would suggest, pretty unquestionably the biggest women's boxing fight of all time. You know, the two legends of the of the women's sport. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have to watch some f- tape on them, both of them together. You know, I'm not going to say my prediction now. I'd say Katie Taylor has been maybe past her best for the last couple of years, so... Um, which isn't to say this is, you know, a wasted thing, because I don't think this fight was on the table before now. But, um, you know, that may factor into it. But anyway, it's a, it's a great fight. Um, it's the best fight in women's boxing um, that's on the table now, and um, that would be worth watching. But also um, also on the um, on the same night, you've got uh, Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez, and that's a great fight because it's, you know, probably the two best fighters in the super featherweight um, division. And and yeah, that's just you know it's a good divisional fight between two unbeaten fighters. Um, you know, unbeaten but genu- genuinely, you know, experienced guys. Not some like you know, they're, they're, they're neither of them are super well proven. But um, you know, Valdez has been around for a while. He's got he's earned his dues. Um, Stevenson's this um rising prospect. Um, twenty four years old. You know, I'm not as high on him as some, but he's clearly really, really good. Yeah, it's just be, you know, if he wins this comfortably, he'll be up in the sort of a pound-for-pound level. Like, whether he'll be in the pound-for-pound lists, I don't know yet, but he's sort of in that in that level. Um, you know, Oscar Valdez got a chance to, um, to impose himself and really sort of get over, you know, he's won 30 points, lost none, and he's still sort of kind of... Um, that guy, so it's, it's an opportunity for him, and that's just going to you know it should be it should be a good fight. You know, Stevenson can sometimes try to make it boring, but he seems to have taken that accusation to heart, so he's maybe being more exciting nowadays. Anyway, yeah, that's happening next week. Um, there will be a preview of some sort. Um, how exactly we go about it, um, we haven't quite decided yet. But the minimum you'll get is my usual preview. Um, other than that, you know, if you don't follow me on Twitter at Crafty Boxing, if you don't follow the fight site, 
out of the fight site, um, get on the Patreon for our exclusives and to get in our Discord where we shoot the shit. Um, yeah, see you next time.